Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, October 21st. I'm Julie Hersey. For only the second time this election season, all four candidates running to be the governor of Alaska participated in a debate on Wednesday night. Incumbent Republican Governor Mike Dunleavy is the apparent frontrunner and bore many attacks from two other candidates. In his closing remarks, Dunleavy argued that Alaska is better off today than it was four years ago. Crime is at a 41-year low. Troopers and GPSOs are up. We have a historic PFD. Uh, we've cut our operating budget by 10% other than in education and public safety. Democrat Les Guerra directly contradicted many of Dunleavy's assertions and painted a dire picture of Alaska. Guerra said the high oil revenue was driven by the war in Ukraine and made this year's historically high permanent fund dividend possible, not the governor. Uh, governor Dunleavy pats himself on the back for the worst school crisis in Alaska history, for the worst mental health crisis in Alaska history, for uh, rape numbers going up while he's been governor, even though he told you the opposite. Dunleavy and fellow Republican Charlie Pierce used some of their time highlighting former Governor Bill Walker's use of the veto to slash permanent fund dividends in 2016. Walker, an independent, said he cut dividends and ex amid extremely low oil prices and helped pass legislation to make the dividends sustainable. He said now making the dividend predictable was one of the state's biggest challenges. We've gone through $20 billion of savings in the last 10 years. My concern is with high dividends. Uh, right now we, are, we have been put on in, in the express lane for high taxes in Alaska. Over the one-hour debate, the candidates were asked about abortion rights, missing and murdered indigenous women, the crash in salmon and crab stocks, among other things. Alaska Public Media, KTOO, and Alaska News Source produced the debate, which aired statewide on television and radio. The full program is available on kfsk.org. Under the state's new election system, voters will be asked to rank the candidates in order of their preference. The lower-ranked votes come into play only if no one candidate gets a majority of the first votes. Then there'd be essentially one or more instant runoff elections where the lowest-ranked candidate would be eliminated and his voter's second choice would be counted. The four candidates have all committed to participate in one more candidate forum before Election Day. They're set to appear together during the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Anchorage on Saturday. Election Day is coming up on November 8th. The event, billed as the first annual forum on Wrangell's economic future, has prompted local conversations about inclusion and racism in late February Wrangell's Chamber of Commerce sponsored, or late September rather, Wrangell's Chamber of Commerce sponsored the economic forum meant to bring together local economic and political stakeholders. But as Sage Smiley reports, the five-hour event was marred by a lack of community representation and racist remarks. I came away feeling rather disturbed. Esther Reese, whose Lincoln name is Ahsin, is the tribal administrator for the Wrangell Cooperative Association, the local tribal government. She attended the forum, which was held on a Friday in the cramped community room of a local church. It actually took me all weekend to sort of process through and get over even attending the forum. I was disappointed. The panel was very exclusionary. There was a complete lack of tribal representation on the panel. There was only one woman, and it would have been nice if they had reached out to the tribe 
and asked us for participation. There were no local businesses included in the speaking lineup, and there was no one from Wrangell's tribal government, even though it's a major economic driver in the community. Over the past few years, Reese says the Wrangell Cooperative Association has spent millions of dollars paving city roads and partnering with the U.S. Forest Service on culvert and trail projects. The local library, senior center, and emergency services have all received tens of thousands of dollars from the tribe. Plus, tribal member assistance programs have returned millions of dollars to Wrangell's economy. Tribally, we have pumped $4.5 million into the Wrangell economy through tribal programs in the last couple of years. She says it was a slap in the face for the tribe to not be acknowledged or asked to present. Chamber of Commerce Director Brittany Robbins, who organized the event, says it wasn't the chamber's intent to be exclusionary and says the event got out of hand. I had no idea what I was doing and I was just trying to start a conversation and do something good for the community mm -hmm. and it kind of backfired a little. Tribal Administrator Reese isn't a part of the business group, but says at least one tribal council member attended initial meetings of the group. She says the event was not only exclusionary, but it was further soured by the racist remarks of one of its presenters. Jim Freeman, a businessman from California, presented four hours into the event, when many attendees had already left. Freeman says he's been in and out of the community since the 1980s and owns property here, and he repeatedly invoked the Wild West when referring to Wrangell and the need to encourage younger investment. We can live where we are. We can stay being cowboys and Indians and independent and, and slowly shrivel as the, as the population dies away. And Reese says she was taken aback when she heard the comments. It was so disturbing to experience racism on the land of the Shtikin Kwan and with tribal members present. Freeman declined a request for a follow-up interview. After his presentation, when audience member Valerie Massey asked Freeman to change his terminology, he was verbally combative. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Yes, um, I think during your speech you said we can continue to go along like cowboys and Indians. Please remove that from your vocabulary. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know what? That's an old term. It has nothing to do with any ethnicity. So, no, it, it I does. probably will not. It really does. No, it really doesn't. It does. you, know, you know what that term means? I do know what it means. Do you know what it means? Tell me what it means. Massey declined to engage further, instead pointing out the event was held on September 30th, Orange Shirt Day, a day of remembrance for survivors of Native American boarding schools. She said the lack of tribal representation at the forum reflected a more systemic issue. And I think that there's a lot of good ideas that have been spoken about today, but one of the reasons why some progress is not made, not all, some things, um, it's because there's been a lot of hurt that's been caused in the name of progress in this town and every other place in the U.S. Um, within the last few hundred years. So we've really got to be collaborative and make sure everybody's in the room when we're talking about how rank can progress. Reese says language like what Freeman used and the lack of accountability have an impact. Language like this is the result of centuries of racism and it continues to perpetuate stereotypes that have real-life impacts on Native communities. I mean, if you think about it, here we are on the land of the Shtikin Kwan, and we are one of the five Southeast communities that are landless. So we're on a journey of reclamation for our people. Robin says she does not approve of Freeman's speech and calls it inappropriate, but she has a friendly relationship with Freeman, who she says has offered to help the chamber on numerous occasions. She says she believes great things came from the forum, and she hopes people can focus on the push to find housing solutions, local investment opportunities, and the like. Wrangell needs ideas, she says. I'd like to see it thrive.
and right now we're surviving. For Reese, the forum was frustrating considering what it could have been. A data-driven, solutions-focused, inclusive opportunity for stakeholders throughout Wrangell to come up with real ideas for its economic future. That potential was overshadowed. My hope is that something positive can come from this unfortunate event. I hope that in the future that the panels are more um, inclusive of all subsets of the community, that education on systematic racism can occur, and that positive change is made and we can move forward stronger as a community. She says the history of racism and exclusion of Alaska Native people is an ancient history. It was mere decades ago when her grandfather was alive that businesses posted signs reading, No Dogs, No Indians. Reese was recently elected to Wrangell's school board and has indicated she hopes to use that position to help increase cultural education and strengthen the relationships between the tribe and the schools. Wrangell's Chamber of Commerce doesn't yet have another economic forum on the calendar. Robbins says she hopes forums can be facilitated by the borough in the future. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Petersburg High School wrestling team season started on September 28th and they attended the first meet of their season in Haines this past weekend. KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto caught up with head coach James Valentine at practice this week. We just finished our first tournament uh, in Haines, Alaska, and it was awesome. The teams that showed up were Ketchikan, Juno, ourselves, uh, Huna, Skagway. It was great. It was great to see the smaller schools like Huna and Skagway have a, have a team, which they haven't had in a, a couple years, so that's really nice to see. And then I, overall, I thought it went really well. Our kids got a lot of matches, which is the most important. Why is that important for your kids to get matches? Everything we teach in the room, it's like you're finally putting a test for them, right? You know, it's like you're studying in the room, and then you have a test. The test is going up against the opponent. It's really important for us to, yeah, just get as many matches. And to put this into perspective, a lot of, you know, being in Southeast, as spread out as we are, the type of travel that we do, and, and you know, just the lack of people, we don't get as many matches throughout the year as, you know, even up north people or people down south. For example, in Southeast, wrestlers usually average between, like, 20 to 40 matches in their whole season. If you're an up north guy, which is, you know, Anchorage, you know, the Na Denali, Fairbanks, you know, Kenai, those guys get like 50 to 80 matches a year. And then anybody down south, they're in the hundreds. So, you know, you get to really refine your craft by having more matches. I believe they all did well. Um, we had a couple tough losses, but they weren't losses that I was like extremely disappointed in. It was losses that were more of, oh, shoot, I didn't teach this. Oh, man, I got caught in this. Ah, crap. What are you looking forward to next for your kids? Honing our craft, you know, really tightening everything up. You know, like, it, it was good. I saw the exact thing that it wasn't just like one student did this, right? It was all of them made this exact mistake where I'm like, okay, write it, wrote it down, and now I can go into the uh, practice room and then work on it and hopefully for this next tournament in juno we can just you know i don't know get some wins and then how would you say that the team has grown within the last year just by this first meet how have they grown they're definitely much tighter like as a as a uh, group mentality like as a team they feel tighter because it's the exact same team i had as last year we only had a couple new kids show up and you know and they the 
the new kids kind of saw how we run. And so that's good because I have ultimate trust in them. You know, I have, you know, if I need them to do something, I say it for the most part. <laughs> they do it. You know, they're kids too. Sometimes they just kind of get distracted. Yeah, wrestling is really hard, but that's like the coolest part about it, the team camaraderie. Is there a home meet this year to look forward to? There is a home meet. There's a home meet uh, first weekend in December. So please come and support us because uh, I think it's going to be fairly large. That was Petersburg High School's wrestling coach, James Valentine, speaking with KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto. The team will compete in Juneau this weekend. The agency that oversees offshore leasing in federal waters has set a date for the next oil and gas lease sale in Cook Inlet. At this time, the agency has to hold the sale no matter what, though industry interest in the nearly one million acres up for bid is anything but guaranteed. On Thursday, the Ocean, the Bureau of Ocean Man- Energy, Energy Management released its final environmental impact statement for the Cook Inlet sale. It's the latest step in the on-again, off-again saga since Congress said a sale in the inlet would be mandatory by the end of the year as part of the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act. It's the first time Congress has required a lease sale in Alaska by law. Previous proposed sales in Cook Inlet have always had the caveat they could be canceled for lack of industry interest. That's what happened last May and three other times in the last decade. Still, even though this sale is required, there's no guarantee oil and gas companies will bid. Interest from producers in Cook Inlet oil and gas tracks have waned in recent years, with a small number of companies picking up leases in the inlet in state and federal sales. And not all of those leases have been explored or developed. As part of the regulatory process, the feds are required to outline the potential environmental impacts of a sale in an environmental impact statement. In its updated statement, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management included an updated assessment of potential greenhouse gas emissions from a sale, as well as expanded protections for Cook Inlet beluga whales. Lease sales like this one have long drawn opposition from environmental groups over concerns about their impacts on marine life. The sale is scheduled for the day of Congress's deadline, December 31st of this year. Alaska's minimum wage will increase by 51 cents next year from $10.34 to $10.85. The minimum wage is adjusted annually based on how much the consumer price index for urban consumers in Anchorage increased the previous year. It increased 4.9% in 2021, which means a 4.9% increase in the minimum wage. The $10.85 per cents per hour wage goes into effect on January 1st of 2023. Alaskans voted to adjust the minimum wage annually for inflation in 2014.